The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. All right, if you got your Bible, go to the book of Daniel. We're starting a brand new series today called Stand. And we're going to be looking at this book of Daniel. And it's such an important book for our time that we're living in. Because what we find in the book of Daniel is we find a people, God's people, that are living in a culture that is not a godly culture. And what we find is people who are having to make, take a stand and do things. And we, we see in this how they took a stand that made an impact in the culture. And, and I, I keep coming back to that word because I really believe that's one of the words God's given us is impactful. Like, it's not just about us being blessed. It's not just about us coming to church on the weekend and having our thing. The whole point is that we would come together, join together, and reach the world around us and impact the culture of the world around us. That's the point of this. And so... Um, what we see in the book of Daniel is we see a group of men who were doing that and we see in them some steps that they took that we can take in our life that will help us do that, that very thing. Okay, so let me set this up for you. Uh, the people of Israel have been brought into captivity. They're in exile. They've been brought into Babylonian captivity. God has given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to turn from their wicked ways, to repent, but they didn't do it. And so they're kind of forced into this uh, this exile, this kind of period of detention where they're, they're kept from their homelands, they're kept from their cities, uh, they're not able to, to worship freely and practice their normal practices. So it says this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He took it over. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These, these carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonian and put the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz. If you've got a physical Bible with you, like maybe make a mark there, remember him. We're going to keep coming back to him today. And also, if you're pregnant and having a baby, you know, Ashpenaz, not a bad name. <laughs> not going to find a keychain of it. But that's not always a bad thing. Ashpenaz, ashy. Anyway, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, look at this, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Okay, so what King Nebuchadnezzar would do, obviously Babylon became a very powerful empire. And one of the ways they became this, this powerful empire is by how they conquered other cities and other, other nations. And what they would do is Nebuchadnezzar would take over a city, he would besiege it, he'd take it over, and then he would take all the resources from that city. And when I say resources, one of the things he recognized was not just the resources of gold and silver, but the resources of people. And so he would take these people and he would put them into the service of Babylon and he would use them to build things, to build cities, to build idols, to build temples. He would take in, uh, most of the people into his workforce, but then he would find the smartest, the wisest, the greatest of the community and he would bring them into his personal service and bring them into his inner circle. But in order to bring them into his inner circle, he would retrain them. 
And he would work, they would work to take all of their culture out and to pour into them Babylonian culture so they could keep them, so they could make them Babylonians so that they could lead with wisdom the Babylonian empire. And so this is taking place. It says in verse four that they were looking for young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. I would have been one of these guys, obviously. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, the ways of Babylon, the language, how they talk, how they say things, how they see things, how they perceive things. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They're going to change the way they think. They're going to change the way they eat. And this is a big deal because for the Hebrew people, there were dietary restrictions that were a part of their worship to God, that God had given them. And, and the Babylonian culture everything that was on the king's table was like, a, was like spitting in the face of this. This was considered very unclean, the things that they were going to be asked to eat. In fact, many of the things that would be on the table for them were things that had been offered in worship to idols. So it was unclean. And so in order for these Hebrew boys, these Hebrew people to take of this food meant that they were kind of abandoning their God. Uh, they were to be trained for three years and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Verse 6, among those who were, who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as you heard them called in children's church, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we see here from the very beginning, I got kind of four ideas I want to present to you this morning. Here's the first one. The culture of this world that we live in has an agenda. The culture of the world that you live in today has an agenda. Culture is not neutral. And the reason it's not neutral is because there is a, there is a, there's someone influencing it. And the person that's influencing it is the person of the devil, Satan. Who, by the way, I've said this before if you've been to New Song, but just so you know, the devil really is real, okay? I'm not saying this to glorify him, but he's not like something that, you know, Christian moms and dads made up, you know, like, like Santa to kind of get people to do the right thing. Like, it's not that. I always get people, they're like, why could you believe in Santa? Put him in children's church. <laughs> we won't do that. Okay, anyway. But, but the devil's real. And the Bible, here's what the Bible says. Because here's, here's the thing. Jesus talked about the devil. We see Jesus having dealings with the devil. And the Bible tells us about the devil that he's seeking who he can devour. That he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So understand there is a real devil and he wants to destroy you. He's a destroyer. That's his agenda. That's what he's working on. And one of the ways he works this agenda into the world is through culture. Now listen, I'm not saying that everything in culture is bad and evil, but some of it is. And probably more than you think sometimes. And what we, what we understand, if we know anything, is that a little bit over time can make a big impact. Uh, me and my wife last year, we watched this movie called Dark Waters. And uh, it's a movie that's based on the true story of um, West Virginia and the DuPont plant. And if you know anything about this story, DuPont was producing Teflon products. Uh, I think it started in the 60s through the 70s and 80s. And, uh, you know, these are like nonstick pans, things like that. But in, in the process of creating this stuff, there was like a runoff that they would have from it, like stuff that they would, that would be left over, kind of sludge. 
And they would take it and they would just kind of dump it into areas of West Virginia, areas that they owned, but, but they would dump it into these areas. But what they didn't know is that it didn't stay in those areas because of water, because of rain, because of all the stuff it got into the land, it got into the property, it got into the cattle, it got into the water systems, and it began to affect people. Now, two problems. One is DuPont found this out and didn't do anything about it. That was the first problem. The second problem was it got into the water of the community and it began to poison them and they had no idea. So you have people that are living with water that's toxic and they're drinking this water and they're bathing in this water and they're washing their laundry and their dishes in this water. They're swimming in this water. And, and it's not all poison, but a percentage of it is poison. And over time, it started causing problems. Babies are born with birth defects. Uh, people are dying. Major, major issues. And somebody discovered why this was happening was because the water had this little bit of poison in it. It was a little bit toxic. Now, if I was to tell you today that the water that's coming into your home is let's say I said that it was 3% toxic. 3% of the water coming into your home that you take a shower with, that you take a bath with, that you drink, that you wash your dishes, wash your clothes with, if I told you that 3% of it was toxic, I guarantee you that you're going to leave church today and you're going to get on the phone and you're going to start taking some steps to deal with that because you understand 3% toxic is enough. That in my home affecting my children, affecting me, it's going to do damage if I just let it keep running through. Listen, I'm not telling you the whole world is, everything about the culture of the world is toxic, but is it possible that 3% is? I think so, probably more. And yet, so often we just drink it up. We just drink up the culture of this world. We just allow it to wash over us. We sit in it, we bathe in it, we live in it. And what we don't know is it's doing damage to us. That's why the Bible says in, in Romans 12 too, it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't just drink up everything the world has to offer. Why? Because it's toxic. Listen, I see teenagers in here, young people, don't just drink up everything the culture of this world is saying to you. Because the culture of this world, there's an agenda and it's being enforced by an enemy who's behind things and he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy you. And he'll make you think, oh, it's not that big a deal, but it is. It's going to hurt you. It's going to cause deformity in the call of God for your life. It's going to cause you not to think the right way, see things the right way. It's doing damage. And so we got to be on guard. There's an agenda and we need to be aware of it. And so from here, we see the agenda start being worked into the life of, of these boys. Look at this with me, verse 7. It says that the chief official, this is that guy Ashpenaz, gave them, Daniel and his friends, new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to, Me to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So the culture of the world we, have, we live in has an agenda. That agenda is being, uh, is being influenced by the enemy who wants to destroy you. And here's the second thing I want you to see today. One of the ways he wants to influence you and destroy you is he wants to redefine you. Culture wants to redefine your identity. One of the things that the enemy wants to do is he wants to present to you a, a play and a role for you to play in the play that is not the role God's called you to play. And he wants to, you to answer to a name that's not a name that God gives you because he knows what the word of God says. As a man thinks in his heart, 
so is he. So if he can get you to identify with a role that you're not called to live by and answer to a name you're not called to answer to, if he can get you to do that, you'll start to believe that that's who you are and you'll start to become what that says you are. You guys tracking with me this morning? The culture wants to rename you. My question to you is what names are you answering to? What names are you answering to? Look at, look at these names that these guys were given. And what you're going to see is how the enemy is working in these guys to try to pull them away from God, to pull them away from the promises of God, to pull them away from who God says they are. Look at this. Daniel, his name was God is my judge. His name was changed to Belt, Belteshazzar, which means lady protect the king. He was given a girl name. Why? Because here's, here's how the enemy works. If he can get you to question who you are and what you are, he can get you to question God. Because if you look at God and you say, God, you made me wrong. How you made me, how I operate, you did it wrong. You're going to have a hard time connecting with a God that you think messed up when he created you. And this has been a work that the enemy's been doing for a long time. Some of the stuff we see, sexual confusion, gender confusion, this ain't new. There have been kingdoms that have been rising and falling with this for years, but this is one of the things that caused them to fall. So we need to be aware. The enemy wants to attack you at who you are, at what you're called to be. Look at this, the next, thing, next name, Hananiah. His name meant Yahweh has been gracious. God is gracious. God is good. There's like a confidence in that, in that name. His name's changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. It's in contrast. God's not good. You can't trust God. He's not who you think he is. You better be afraid of God. You better be afraid of him. Mishael, his name is who is what God is. Who is like my God? Who can do what my God can do? Who's wise like my God? Who has the power of my God? That's what his name meant. His name is changed to Meshach, which means I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. His name goes from being a name that speaks to having confidence in God's ability to a name that speaks to a cowardice in his own ability. Which again, how does the enemy work? He wants to take your eyes off of God, wants to put your focus on you and your inabilities to work in this world. Azariah's name means Yahweh has helped. God has helped me. God will continue to help me. In fact, if you study this name, there's this idea behind it of a close relationship, like a father and a son, a family relationship. Yahweh, my God, my father, he's helped me. He'll continue to help me. His name is changed to Abednego, which means slave to Nebo. His name goes from sonship to God to slave to the son, S-U-N. And this, this name, slave to Nebo, Nebo was a hard God to please, and the worship of Nebo was nuts. They would spend 12 days doing all these crazy practices, some involving uh, acts of sex, all sorts of crazy, weird stuff. There was one act where they would take a guy who was like a leader in the community, and they would sit him in front of everybody, and they would slap him in the face over and over again until, until tr st tears streamed down his face. Oh, that was, you better hope your tear ducts are working if you get picked. Just over and over again. I don't know why that's funny to me, but here's the point. This God is hard to please. And you do all this crazy stuff in the hopes that it appeases him and he would bless the crops. Here, here's what I want you to see. The culture of Babylon was working 
to pull everything out of them related to their confidence in God and his ability to work in, the, in their life, to help them, to love them, to be for them. They were trying to pull culture out of them. And so how do they do it? They rename them. What name are you answering to that the culture has given you? And when I was born, uh, my parents who are here this morning, they were the authority figures that God set in my life, still authority figures in my life. They gave me the name Josh, Joshua Ryan Blunt. That's on my birth certificate. That's my, that's my name. And because they loved me, they wanted me to come identify with my name. So they began to speak my name to me. And even when you have a little baby, you call them by their name and you talk to them. And as they grow, you train them how to write your name, how to read your name, how to identify by your name. Why? Because when you know your name, you know what name to answer to. But listen, listen, this is big. When you know your name, you also know what name not to answer to. So if I'm in the lobby today and someone on the other end of the lobby starts yelling, Jason, Jason, and they're looking in in my general direction, I'm not going to be going, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm not Jason. I'm going to be thinking, who are they? Who's Jason? That's not me. If someone was to come up to me and say, uh, hey, Pastor Jennifer, I really love the message this morning, I'm going to go, whoa, 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 yes, I'm not Jennifer. <laughs> Josh. <laughs> this lady ain't protecting the king. <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying? When you know your name, you also know what's not your name. Some of you need to know, do you know your name? Yeah. Do you know what God calls you? Because if you know what God calls you, then you won't answer to some of the names the enemy's calling you and culture's calling you. The enemy will tell you that you're lustful, that you're sinful, that you're angry, that you're depressed. And you'll go, and sometimes we just go, yeah, I am, that's me. I identify with that. God doesn't call you that. So why are you answering to those names? Stop answering to the wrong names. You know what? The Bible doesn't say that, that you're a sinner. The Bible says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that you're wicked and sinful. It says that you're holy through Christ Jesus. The Bible, God doesn't, doesn't label you those things. So why are you labeling yourself? Why are you listening to those labels? Quit listening to those labels. And we got to get serious about this to the point that we won't even listen to labels that are just a little bit off. Because, you know, sometimes it's easy. Like if someone's calling me Jennifer, Like, that's easy for me to go, I'm not Jennifer. But one of the things I run into from time to time is people will call me Josh Blount. Because my last name is spelled B-L-O-U-N-T. But it ain't, you don't say Blount. It ain't Blount. Listen, everybody. It ain't Blount. It's blunt. Blunt. Like my personality. Blunt, okay? (laughs) So... So when someone, I remember one time I was at, you guys remember Kiwanis Club when you were in school or Key Club? I was in Key Club. I don't know how I ended up in Key Club. I think there was a pretty girl in there or something. I don't know. But I was at this meeting thing and there was probably about this many people in a room and they were going through and naming, somehow they were calling off people's names. And they said my name and they said, Josh Blount. And when they said it, I was probably 12 years old. I just yelled out in the room, it's Blount. <laughs> That's not my name. You say, well, it's just, it's just off a little bit, but it's my name. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like at what point do I go, well, it's just off a little bit. 
Jennifer Blount, you know, that's, I guess I can go by that. <laughs> no. My point is this. Is, here, here's a question for you this week. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, what the heck, what are you doing? <laughs> Take notes, okay? <laughs> here's a question for you to ask the Holy Spirit this week. What name am I answering to that you don't call me? Let me say it another way. What lie am I believing that culture is feeding me? And then here's the next thing you say. Here's the next question you ask. What's the truth? If that's the lie, what's the truth? Because the truth is what will set you free. And if you're new to New Song, you don't understand what I'm talking about right now. You're going, "What, what is he talking about? Write this down, talk to God. Like, whoa, God wants to talk to you. The Bible says that his people hear his voice, his sheep hear his voice. God, okay, well, I think God's talking over there. <laughs> but, uh, but God wants to talk to you, and, and, and how he does it is, is we think like God's going to talk to us. I used to think this when I was a kid, like I'd hear people talk about hearing the voice of God, and I would think, well, they just must be special. Because I would imagine it was like they're driving in their car and it was like a burning bush. All of a sudden the dash lights came on and shined in their face and it was like, this is the Lord. No, it's not it. How God speaks to you is just through your thoughts. And we know that they're the thoughts of God because the Bible talks about how he draws us to conviction. And conviction just means that it may draw you to change, but the change moves you ahead. Condemnation, it, it tells you you're a mess and you're going backwards. So remember that. Conviction moves you ahead. Condemnation moves you backwards. So if the voice that you're hearing is telling you, hey, let's fix some stuff and move ahead, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. If it's telling you you're a loser and you're never going anywhere, that's not the enemy. That's not the voice you listen to. But invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, who do you say I am? God, who do you say I am? What lie am I believing? Let God speak to you. Write that down. And then listen, believe it. Start to believe it. And because and, and, when you know your name, you'll quit answering to the wrong, to the wrong name. Here, here's the third thing that we see, that I see here in this story that's taken place is culture begins to ask them to compromise their biblical standards. So now Daniel and his, and his buddies are being asked to have their names changed and, and really the action that they're being invited into is eat stuff that you know is wrong. Eat of this stuff. And that's where Daniel draws the line. And he, he begins to kick against this a little bit. But I want you to notice how he does it. Because I think this is the important thing. There's gonna be, there's gonna be a compromise that's invi- that we're invited into in our culture. But how we navigate that's so important. So it says in Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel resolved. Everybody say resolved. Circle that word or highlight that word. He reserved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So there's going to be compromise that you're invited to in the culture of the world. And the question is, how are you going to navigate it? Because if you don't navigate the right way and you don't hold up the standard of God the right way, it's it's going to be a mess. Because here's the thing, okay? The world is going to oppose you if you're a believer, In fact, I would say, if you find yourself going, you know, I'm not really receiving a whole lot of opposition from the world, you're probably going in the wrong direction, okay? There should be some some resistance. Why? Because the culture of the word and the culture of the world are diametrically opposed. And so Daniel's being offered stuff that is completely opposed 
to who he believes God's calling him to be. And so he resolves. He resolves. He, that word resolve, I told you to highlight it, it means that he made a firm, committed decision to take a stand. He made a firm, committed decision. In other words, he said, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. But I want you to notice how he did it. He asked for permission. Like, he doesn't go to Ashpenaz and he's like, hey, listen, Ash, I ain't doing this. Like, you're, what you're asking me to do is sinful and wrong, and you're going to hell, and all these people are going to hell, and so you can just go to hell. I ain't going to hell with you. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He says he seeks permission not to do it. Interesting. Goes on to say, verse 9. Now, God caused the official, Ashpenaz, to show favor and compassion to Daniel. I believe one of the reasons why that was available to him is because Daniel approached him the right way. Verse 10. But the official told Daniel, and I want, you to, I want you to see as we read these next verses, I want you to really see, like this is, I think sometimes we don't put ourselves as Christians in the shoes of the culture of the world that we maybe came out of and how they may be processing. Because what we see here is how the world, through, through this guy Ashpenaz, we see how he's processing the change that's being offered to him from a biblical standard. He says, I am afraid of my Lord the King. I'm afraid of the one I bow down to who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The King would then have my head because of you. Here's what I want you to see. He's in fear. You know, so many of the decisions that we see that come out of the culture of the world are based in fear. Because what is fear? Fear is faith in reverse. (laughs) We're called to live by faith. The righteous live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith says, I have confidence in what's ahead because God is going to be with me in the now and in the future. That's faith. Faith projects a future with God in the middle of it. Fear projects a future absent of God by yourself. And so it's afraid. And that's what we see in the world. People are afraid. And so they're not just, not just everybody's just pure evil. A lot of them are just afraid. They're afraid of what they're going to lose. They're afraid of what this might cost them. They're afraid of, the, of, of if they do this, what, what, what it could look like, what, it, what the kind of damage it could cause. So they're operating out of fear. Now look at Daniel, verse 12. He said, please. Everybody say, please. please. You're welcome. Please, he says, test your servants for 10 days. Please, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Daniel says, hey, just give this a shot. Would you please do this? He doesn't say, Ashpenaz, you're afraid? You're so dumb. Why are you afraid? Quit being afraid. Quit being afraid. He didn't say that. You're dumb for being afraid. You're going to hell because you're afraid. He didn't say that. He says, hey, please, just, just give this a shot. Just watch us. Watch how we live. Watch us and just see if you see the difference. Verse 14. So he agreed to, his, to this and tested them for 10 days. Look at this, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine. Uh, They were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now look at verse 17. To these four young men, God gave, everybody say God gave. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. In other words, the blessing of God, the favor of God was on them. And it wasn't just on them to understand the word. It was on them to understand the culture. That's big. 
Verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians, enchanters of the whole kingdom. Why? Because they honored God. They stood for the standard of God in a culture that was not. And because they stood for the standard of the word, God caused them to stand out in, this, in, the, in the world that they were living in. Because they, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this again because I wanna say it the right way. Because they stood for the word, God caused them to stand out in the world. And I believe that that's what God is inviting us to do. And not just stand out because we're just so blessed, but to stand out because we are impactful. And people look at our life and they say, what do you have? What do, what do you see? Your marriage is different. You're different. You're, you're on a, a sports team. You're different than everybody else. There's something about you. You're different. You're, I, I, how you treat your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, that's different than what I'm seeing. Your standards for purity are different. The access you have on your phone is different than the access I have on my phone. We're going to stand out. We're going to do some stuff that causes us to live by God's standard, not the world's, and it's going to cause us to be blessed. You guys tracking with me this morning? I believe God wants to do this. We live in a world that, let's be honest, it's pagan. And there's a lot of stuff that's kicking against the culture of God's word. And we're called to raise up a standard. And, and like I said earlier, there's going to be confrontation. We're going to continue to see confrontation. And when confrontation comes, in fact, that's my fourth idea for you this morning, culture is always going to create a confrontation. There's going to be, that's why we're calling this series, stand. You're going to have to stand. You're going to have to take a stand. And what's interesting about these guys, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is, is, is they stood, God blessed them, but this wasn't the only stand they had to take. This wasn't the only test that they faced. I'm not telling you today that you're going to take a test, you know, you're going to take a stand today, and from this point on, everything's going to be perfect. What I'm telling you today is as you take this stand and the test that, that you may find yourself in right now, God will bless you and favor you and help you in it. And then once you get through this one and the next one comes along, because it will, because that's what we see in the story, the book of Daniel, that this stuff's going to keep coming. We live in a broken, fallen world. There's going to keep, the culture of this world's going to keep throwing stuff at you. But if, you're, if your faith and your trust and your hope is in God, he'll see you through it all. He'll bless you in spite of it and he'll help you to impact the culture that you find yourself in. Can I get an Amen. So, so we have to know how to stand in this culture, how to stand the right way, because culture is going to create confrontation. And when it creates it, if you don't know the standard of the word of God, you can't hold it up. But even if you know the standard of the word of God, but you don't know the heart of the God behind the standard, you may, not, you may hold it up, but you may hold it up the wrong way. And we saw that this year. You know, we had some, some things shift this year. We saw some confrontation take place and and, and I, let's just be real, I don't think the church as a whole dealt with everything really good all the time. And, and what I see sometimes is there's kind of these two ditch, ditches that we find ourselves in as Christians that people can fall into when it comes to cultural shifts and changes that are taking place. One is this idea that I'm right and you're wrong. Well, I'm right and you're wrong and you're going to hell, so you can just go to hell. But that's, not, that's not the heart of Jesus, just so you know. And just so you know, there may, there may be some truth in your right but if that truth is not, is not filtered the right way, 
You know, the, the Bible says that it will know the truth and it'll set us free. Is the truth you're bringing to the world, does it have the ability to bring freedom to people? Or is it what the Bible talks about? Is it a clanging symbol that people just tune out? But I'll, I'm giving them the truth. It's the truth. Truth. It's what God says. You're all going to hell. It's truth. Unfollow. Mute. Dislike. Let's argue as a couple of fools. I'm, I'm trying to help you this morning. So it's not just truth. It's not just here's the truth and eat truth. No, no, no. We, we've got we've to bathe that truth in the love of God. I'll, I'll show you how to do that in a minute. But the other ditch that we fall into sometimes is, is the ditch of, well, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. You know, grace covers everything, so just come as you are and be who you are forever. And you don't need to change. You don't need to shift. Just it's all, it's all good. And, and we see today we've got a, a generation of Christians that are setting a, aside the truth of the Bible thinking that they can love better than God. Just so you know, you can't. Perfect love is what God is. So how do we, how do we be impactful in a, in a culture that we find ourselves in that's influenced by the enemy, that has an agenda, that wants to re, rename us, that is going to bring confrontation? Like, how do we stand for what is right in this culture well, we look to Jesus because Jesus did this perfectly. Like if you look at Jesus, Jesus is righteousness, the righteousness of God personified. Jesus was perfect. He was righteousness in flesh and, and he was loving and yet he spoke the truth. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you're gonna find that Jesus doing those things still created an atmosphere that welcomed people that were sinful. And he had people sitting at his feet that were prostitutes, that were tax collectors, which tax collectors were thieves, lepers, the people that were cast away and thrown away and told that they were of no service, were, were able to comfortably sit at the feet of Jesus, and yet he didn't compromise his standard. How did he do it? Here's the answer. John 1.14. It says, the word became flesh. That's talking about Jesus. He became flesh. He put on skin. And he made his dwelling among us. He came and lived here on this earth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Here it is. You ready for this? Full of, say these next three words with me, grace and truth. There's the balance. We balance the grace of God and the truth of God and we present it to the world. So what's the grace of God? The grace of God says, it ain't about what you do. It's about what God's done. Grace says, that God loves you and he accepts you where you are. And that's, that's good news, isn't it? Yeah. But it doesn't end there because if it ends there, that's kind of good news. But there, there needs to be the truth because the Bible tells us that it's the truth that sets us free. So Grace says, hey, you're welcome here. We love you. I want you to know as a church, we say to everybody, if you're here today and, and you say, I don't know if I belong here, you belong here. Yeah. I don't care what you brought in today. I don't care what sin you're currently participating in. Grace says, God loves you. But truth says, let's not stay there. Let's move ahead into who God's called you to be. And I think one of the most beautiful pictures of this in Scripture is in John 8. Jesus personified this, but, but I love this story. There's this woman who's brought to Jesus, and she's been caught in the act of adultery. 
And these Pharisee men bring her to Jesus. And I'm sure this is unbelievably shameful for her. And she's thrown at his feet. And, and, and you know, I think we kind of think that she was like a prostitute, but I don't, we, I don't, it doesn't say that. We don't know. She could have just been a woman who was cheating on her husband. We don't know, but she's in adultery. And she's thrown at the feet of Jesus. And these Pharisee men say, we caught her in the act of adultery. And they, and they go, they go as, to far, as far as to say, in the very act, how they caught her, I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> what they were doing there. But we'll move past that. We caught her in the act. The law says that she's to be stoned, she's to be killed. What say you? This is that story where Jesus is like down and he's writing in the dirt, you know? And the Bible says that he doesn't even look up. He doesn't respond at all. And so I think they're kind of like, hey, Jesus, um, we caught her in the act of adultery. I don't know if you heard that first part, but we caught her in the act of adultery. We're supposed to stone her. Like, what do you say? And so Jesus is writing in the dirt and he looks up and he says, all right, whichever one of you is without sin, you can cast the first stone. And then he goes back to writing in the dirt. Baller. (laughs) And we don't know what he's writing. There's a lot of different theories out there. Some say that he was writing the names of the mistresses of those Pharisees down. That would have been... You're like sitting there going, oh, oh, no. Sheila's, okay, I'm going. (laughs) Oh, man. He may have just been writing down the hidden sins that they had in their life that they didn't want anybody to know about. But what we do know is that they left, starting with the oldest to the youngest. And that all was left was Jesus and the woman. It says this in verse 10. It says, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her. And I love this too, because Jesus doesn't just stay down in the dirt. Now he's addressing her and he gets, he, he comes up to her. I love Jesus. He's so cool. He said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, sin no more. Now, remember what Jesus said? Whichever one of you is without sin, you can go ahead and throw the first stone. And everybody left. But who didn't leave? Jesus. Why? Because he's without sin. And so under the law, Jesus had the right right there to throw stones and to kill her. And he would have been not guilty. But he doesn't do it. And, and, and realize this, he would have done it and it wouldn't have been a sin under the law. He still could have stayed sinful, sinless, and done it. But he didn't do it. He didn't throw stones. What did he throw? He threw grace. He said, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. But he didn't just throw grace. He threw truth. And he said, go. In other words, change. Repent. Do something different. Go and sin no more. Repent means to turn away from your sin. Grace and truth. Isn't that beautiful? We're called to be agents of freedom, church. We're called to walk like Jesus. 
And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to resolve. We're going to have to take a firm stance that says we're going to carry these things into the world because we want to be impactful, don't we? So we're going we're to carry the truth of the standard of the Word of God, but we're also going to carry the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. So we say to you that you're welcome here, but I also want you to know we stand on the Word in this church. And this house will not, be, will not bow down to the God of the culture of the world. I'm not looking for everybody out there to tell me, good job, well done. I'm looking for Jesus to tell me, well done. And so we will hold firm to the truth of the standard of the word of God, but we will carry it with grace into the world, loving people and receiving them into this family because the grace says you're welcome, but the truth helps you find freedom. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.